welcome to Crash Course. This is your weekly podcast brought to you by the Live Unbreakable brand. I'm your host, Live Unbreakable founder and head fitness and nutrition coach, Sean Provost. Alongside me, I have my co-host, strength and conditioning coach, Dan Murray. We're here every single week to give you a crash course in something about health and wellness, diving deep into the science behind diet and exercise. In each episode, we look to provide you with the essentials on important topics and give you the best advice in training, mindset shifts, and overall healthier, sustainable living so you can make the best decisions for you and your lifestyle. No fluff, just facts. I'm so excited today. We have Andy back on the podcast. Y'all, she doesn't even need an introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyways. You've seen her on the podcast before. You've heard her on the podcast before. She's all over our social media, and she's just one of the most amazing people out there. So Andy, welcome back. Sean, thank you. I am excited to be back. And I'm telling you what, I will never get tired of an introduction like that. That makes (laughs) me so happy. It's genuine, girl. You know it is. Um, So today, guys, I wanted to jump in on New Year's resolutions and some thoughts. I know that if you follow me on social media, I put a lot of um, maybe a little negative out there about what I thought about resolutions and having to do them at a certain time of the year. But I noticed some trending with my clients and my friends and the people that I surround myself with. And I thought immediately of Andy. And So I'll I'll tell you a little bit. I'll dive in, Andy, and then I'll let you jump in with your thoughts too. So guys, I noticed, as I do every year, people are using January and January 1st specifically as a time to start dry January. And then I see all these people doing it year after year, but always falling back into the same habit in February, maybe March, April, somewhere along the line. They have to do dry January again because they only do dry January. And so I was kind of iterating on this, and I hit Andy up on social media, as one will do. And I was like, hey, I need to know your thoughts on this and how I should be thinking about this. So Andy, welcome in. I would love your thoughts on dry January, sober January, whatever we want to call it, and uh, and what what you think about moving forward. Well, I think, that, first of all, all of the things that we talked about are really valuable. So before I jump into dry January, I know you talked about your clients and certain patterns that you're seeing um, in terms of behavior and how that's not serving them. So first of all, I want to say before we jump into that, just for everybody listening, I think dry January can be a very positive thing if you choose for it to be a very positive thing. In fact, I think that anybody that decides to not put poison into their body uh, for an extended period of time is doing a very self-serving act. Now, if you follow that sort of self-serving act with a rotten betrayal, then you're not so <laughs> then you're not so self-serving. So before I, I get into my thoughts on dry January, Sean, you've been working with clients now for quite a long time. I know that you said year after year. And I just want to say everybody like I also am really negative about New Year's resolutions. I'm very, I think anybody that's in our line of work really is because yeah. New Year's resolutions 80% of the time don't work. We already talked about this in a previous podcast. We don't need to belabor it. Um, so I, I do tend to fall on the negative side of a New Year's resolution. I always am in support of 
dry January. I'm always in support of keeping, you know, of doing self-serving things. But I do want, Sean, if you can, to just kind of share some of the trends that you've seen. And then I want to address those. And I'll probably do that, you know, maybe one by one or two at a time or however it, however it flows. Yeah, let's do it. So, you know, when I first brought this to Andy, my, like I said, I was super negative because what I was noticing, especially in the circles that I'm in right now, whether that's athletics, clients, friends, was that they were doing this by completely restricting themselves for the month. So you go from holidays where you're out with friends and family and you're doing stuff, maybe even, you know, before Omicron came out. And if you, even if you aren't maybe COVID, uh, you know, cautious or whatever, but everyone was drinking more during the holidays. And then they had this idea to restrict themselves for the entire month of January. But the biggest thing that I noticed was that they're not partaking in any of the same events or any of the same experiences or life paths. So by that, I mean, in January, you know, they said, don't ask me to go out with you. I don't want to go out. So now all of a sudden you have to have a different theme or event to go to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe even Sunday, fun day. And you're restricting yourself from socialization. So, you know, in addition to not drinking, you're also not going out and you're not being in this environment, which you think might be helpful, but actually is detrimental in the end. And then the other theme that I notice year after year is after they do that restriction, eh, they bounce back into February with like what you said, right? They're like, they're doing something very self-serving in January. And then all of a sudden they sabotage it February or March after the restriction has been too much and they binge. And I talk about this nutritionally all the time, but from an alcoholic standpoint, it is so dangerous to your immune system and your mental state. So those are the two big trends. So one is just super restriction and two is restricting yourself from the experiences that you were in before as well. I, I forget how I actually said it. What did I say? A brutal assault or something yes. like something asinine like that. I don't even remember. People, this is real. Okay, so this is real. So first of all, I will tell you guys, uh, I want to say flat out in the beginning that there is a big difference between sobriety and recovery. So people that are sober are very different than people that are in recovery. I fell into sobriety. I'm just going to tell my sober story because what the hell. Please um, do. And it, it's not something that I like put on blast. It's not the primary work that I do, but it is a part of my identity and I do like to talk about it. And what happened was when I decided to stop drinking, I decided to stop drinking as stopping a habit, kind of like when I stopped smoking. I was like, all right, I'm just going to stop drinking. And I was going to do it for the first a month or two of the year. Really, I was like, okay, until I get everything straight, I'm going to stop drinking. I didn't know at the time, I didn't know this at the time, but I also embarked concurrently on a journey of recovery, but it wasn't related to my drinking. It was, my life was a mess. My, my job was a mess. Like I wasn't where I wanted to be. I wasn't doing something that fulfilled me. I was standing still. I wasn't using any of my education. It wasn't. So I started seeing this coach and we started kind of doing work together and I started diving into my limiting beliefs to, you know, past traumas to all of these things. And it was separate of my sobriety. And what I didn't know was I was going into recovery, which was about myself and sobriety was just something that was happening. Mm -hmm. So what I would ask. Another experience or a journey that you were on. Mm -hmm. It was just something that was happening and it was happening there. So I'm gonna, I would love to bring up dry January. So first of all, if you're going to do dry January, I would love to ask you, and this is for the listeners, I would love to ask you, why are you doing dry January? This is seriously something that 
is really, really, uh, I don't want to say really, 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 really great for somebody to to think about. And if you guys want to check out Annie Grace's website, she does the 30-day alcohol experiment where she talks about, you know, abstaining from alcohol for 30 days. But those 30 days are laden with different things for you to think about throughout those 30 days. So if you're going without alcohol for 30 days and what you're basically doing is just avoiding the entire topic with a plan to completely jump back into binge drinking, that that probably for me would bring up some things like why am I binge drinking? What mm-hmm. is the the need that I have to do that? Now, if the binging is just the result of taking alcohol away and you just feel like you have to play catch up, well, congratulations. You're like everybody that tries to stop a habit, you know, like somebody right. that tries to stop. <laughs> and you're you're you I'm sure see this all the time in nutrition. Like, hey, I'm not going to allow myself to ever eat anything with sugar in it. And then here we are, an entire bag of candy is gone. Like from the and it's like that was just ridiculous. But I would ask you, like, why are you doing dry January? And if the activities in your life, like going to the bar, spending time with your friends, doing these things on the weekend, if you can't do those sober, that's something for you to look at. Because that really, that's really indicative of, am I really doing these activities because I enjoy them? Like, am I going to the bar? Am I going out to this event or to that event? And am I able to enjoy that without a drink? You know, they they do these painting. I'm looking at a painting on my wall right now. I have a painting on my wall. They do these painting classes in New York. And it's a fun thing for you to do. Like you go and everybody goes to the painting class and you sit there and y'all paint the same picture and it's great. And then there's always one asshole that has to do different colors just to look different and good for them. <laughs> I mean, like they're going to be, they're like Gary Vee. Like they're going to, they're, they're making it. But when I went to one, when I was still drinking, we all were hammered by the end of it. Yes. <laughs> hammered. Very familiar with this experience. Oh, I love it. Okay. So this is a real thing. Now, if you're doing dry January, are you able to go to the painting class or is this going to be something that's really uncomfortable for you to do? Because if it's the latter, then, then, then you have something to look at. Because that is another thing is that if you're having to avoid all of these activities that you're doing. And then February comes and you are you know, puking because you had, you had to make up for lost time. Like there's something else. And there's and and I, I want to give you some time to kind of ask you how you feel about all that because I want to jump into, well, what what do we do about the something else? But I don't <laughs> yes. want to I don't want to go too far, you know, because I want to say really quick before I stop, before I step off of this particular. I don't want to say soapbox, but before I step off of this thing is that just because you have something to look at doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Like there's nothing wrong with you. So I just want to end exactly where I was going. Thank you. Because it's true. I spent, I would say a fair amount of the last week of December into the, the, the second week of January, either trying to convince the people that I know are going to you know, jump back into their habits in February or are just like experimenting, right? Trying to talk them out of doing it. I did, I spent a lot of time doing it, but not like, hey, you shouldn't do it as bad for you, but asking them why or saying, you know, these are the negatives if you're going to go back to your old habits. And I think the part that 
is really important for each of these conversations is the level. So you always you think of every conversation and you know you and I have definitely talked about this on podcasts too where you have levels in a conversation like hey how's the weather and no one's really paying attention hem ha whatever and it's just like in passing. You have like your friends that you see every once in a while and like hey how's it going it's going well great. And like the deeper, the better you know the person or the more you've worked with that client, the deeper the conversation can go. And the question of why always has to come up with goals. And when you're talking about something this serious, because it's not just being able to tell all your friends that you're not drinking. They don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. They were drinking with you last week, right? And they're probably going to unless they're joining you in dry January. So there's that kind of heavier piece of it where, all right, well, you know, so-and-so is not drinking anymore. What do we do? Do we not invite them? Do we invite mm-hmm. them and not like there's that that social peer pressure almost if they do go out and then everyone kind of feels awkward. But do they? Because most mm. of the time your friends don't. They're just like, all right, you're finally here. That's awesome. Like you're not drinking tonight. Here's some water. So what are you doing instead? And it'll definitely be a conversation, but it doesn't have to be awkward if you know your why. Right, right, right. Absolutely. I think that that and what other people I was just having a conversation with somebody that I was on a call with this week about this very thing it was actually we were talking about um she was talking about somebody that she was really close with in her life that really liked when she would you know drink or have drinks but it wasn't really because that person wanted her to be drinking as much as it was that they felt that she wouldn't be having a good time if she wasn't drinking mm-hmm so a lot of the times what happens with friends, I find when you tell somebody, hey, I'm not drinking, you are going to have those couple of people that that might try to peer pressure, particularly if they know that you're just doing this for the month of January. But if you're really serious and you and you communicate, hey, I, you know, I really – I feel like I, I really truly – don't want to be drinking right now. Most people will be supportive. They're going to be super supportive. Mm-hmm. And anything that you might make, we are meaning making machines. So we are going to think, think, okay, well, these people think this about me. It really is more to do. Your friends are thinking about things from their own perspective. So they're seeing things through their own eyes. So they may believe that you're not having a good time. And it's not because they want you to be drinking. It's because they really can't. I'll, t- I'll tell the story. The first time that I went out with a group of people, this was like, uh, I stopped drinking in in the last week, right after Christmas. This is July. So this is the COVID year. So we all haven't been out in months. We go out for my ex-boyfriend's birthday. It's me and a group of guys. It is a long day of drinking. I'm drinking soda water. And the next day, one of the guys communicated to my ex-boyfriend and I are really close friends. He said, you know, it really was too bad that Andy didn't drink, you know, but it was really nice to have her there. And I, and it was really just a, his perspective was he thought I would have had a better time mm-hmm. had I been along for the ride with all of that. But I didn't. I wouldn't have had a better time. I would have had a headache and I would yes. have felt like shit and I would have been a blubbering idiot. Like that was 10 hours of drinking. My friend lost his phone that day. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? So what, what your friends, like the the peer pressure aspect of it, just know. And if I could give anybody advice, it's that. Just know that anything they may say or do or feel or believe has everything to do with them and nothing to do with you. Like, so if you are in this dry January mentality and you want to set yourself up for success and maybe you don't feel like alcohol really is a problem for you. Maybe you just feel like, you know, you want to give yourself a 31-day detox. 
amazing. I mean, like I do this with sugar regularly, particularly after the holidays when I've ingested so much sugar that I, I, I feel like a sluggish lump. You know, I do this all the time. But if you, um, you know, when it comes to going out, you're not doing yourself a service by avoiding people because you are going to feel that. You are going to feel that, mm-hmm. oh shit, I have to go out and I have to have a big hurrah because this is kind of, this is kind of over. Yeah. And the other thing is your friends do want you there, right? They don't Mm want to, they don't want dry January to take you away from them, right? They, just like you were saying with your friends, you, oh, I wish she was drinking, but I'm so glad she was there. Yes. They Mm want to make memories with you. It's their decision to drink or not, just like it's your decision to drink or not. But your decision to spend time with them shouldn't change just because of what you're imbibing. Like, all right, so-and-so is eating pork. So-and-so wanted to eat chicken. I wanted to be plant-based that day, right? It can be just like that. It's just the pure pressure for drinking gets so much heavier and it's just so starkly different than what you were doing. That shock can be really jarring for your group of friends, but it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be, especially if you communicate that why. And it really is in the communication. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We are in a, such a lubricated culture. So I read this book, Alcohol Lied to Me by Craig Beck. It's great. It was one of the books that I read when I first stopped drinking. And it was all about how alcohol is – and I I just want to tell you guys, like if you're listening, I love alcohol. Like I I don't drink it anymore. But I had a great time. Like I had a great time. And I'm never going to be the person that said I didn't have a great time. Um, But it it is – did I really have a great time or was it like – was it programming? I mean, do we know? I don't know. But Craig Beck writes about how we – as children are told, alcohol is bad. And we attend, I attended dare classes. I'm born in 1985. You know, we had dare when I was a kid. And, you know, that was a thing. And we learned about how drugs and alcohol are bad. But, and we learned that drugs are bad and everything in society says drugs are bad, but alcohol is a little bit different. Everything Mm -hmm. that you see says alcohol is good. Your parents are drinking it. People on TV are drinking it. People, the images of sexy people are happening. I mean, like everything in the world says everything is bad, but alcohol is shown to be good. Mm-hmm. So we are even subliminally all the time, all the time. So when you decide to, it is not normalized for you to take a step away from it. And people, this is the, the biggest thing that I see with people that talk to me about their ideas about stopping drinking and. I'm talking about people that drink recreationally. I'm talking about people that are that would not define themselves as someone that has an alcohol use disorder, that just wants to not drink every once in a while. And their biggest concern is, well, what does that mean about me? Yes. Like, these are the kinds of people that don't drink, and I'm not that. And that's what's all lumped into this whole shit. So I think that's another reason that people might want to take a step back as be, and, and not be around anyone is because they're like, oh, shit. Well, if I go out and I'm the person not drinking, I'm going to have to answer all these questions. Mm-hmm. Like all these questions. I'm going to have to be talking about shit from when I was eight. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> nobody – like you don't. Like you no. don't. And there's so much about in our culture that says that alcohol is necessary for having a good time. And I would love for anybody to tell me about one time where they were drunk out of their minds where sex was fantastic. <laughs> yes. That was going to be my example too. Was there really? <laughs> yes. Tell me about Name time. one time when you were super, super intoxicated that sex was better because of that. I'll wait. Tell me. I'll wait. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Exactly. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. And no. and we're always trying to make excuses and we're always having to try to defend the the idea that we have to yeah. continue to do this. We got to defend it. And and that's another reason I think people are and you and I do a lot of work where a lot of times what people think is the issue isn't really the issue. So I think that when we're talking about this, we're, we have to talk about it from a standpoint where we're looking at everything on the outside. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we have the behavior of I restrict and then I binge, which is a whole other issue. We could talk about binging. You and I could talk about that all day. But then we have <laughs> yes. the why are you, why are you hiding? Like, why are you hiding in your apartment? What is making you want to do that? Because you don't have to. Right. You don't have anybody shit. You don't have anybody nope. Any, anything. Nope. No, literally no. Nope. And you can, if someone sends you a drink at the bar, you know, thank you so much. That was such a great gesture, but I'm all set. Thank you. Or when your friends are pressuring you, are they really your friends if they continue to pressure you? If you put your foot mm-hmm. down and you say that's something that you don't want to do anymore, are they really your friends, right? Do they really have your best interest? Maybe they do and they just don't understand where you're coming from. That's fine. Then put your foot down or just explain it however simply you need to that, nope, you're not interested in that and then remove yourself from the situation. Mm-hmm. But understanding your why gives you that almost that armor to go into battle and say like, oh, this is why I'm doing it. And this matters to me. So I would appreciate you to respect that decision. Absolutely. And that's I would love to talk about that. Like whys are great. Like what are some big whys that you've been hearing from people about why they want to do it? Because I think a lot of people will be like, I want to not drink for a month, but they don't have those really strong whys. And that's another thing. And yeah. so I don't know if your clients have been, you know, saying different things and what things you've been saying are great ideas and what things aren't. I mean. Yeah. And, and you know, for the most part, it there there's a nutritional component to it. Obviously, for my athletes, not drinking provides them a certain level of recovery that they don't mm-hmm. get if they're consistently drinking or binge drinking. Athletes will always see a better performance if they are not in not hungover when they're training because they can go harder. They can push themselves more. They can reach muscle atrophy at a certain point. But for my non-athletes, people who are either getting into sports or they're just getting moving couch to 5k or something like that, or just people who are coming to me for nutrition advice. Most of what I hear as a, as a resolution for dry January is cutting back on calories that aren't as good for them, cutting back on bad calories, quote unquote. But Calories don't have morality, so where you're getting them from doesn't necessarily matter, right? Carbs are carbs, but they do function differently in the system, and that's a whole scientific talk we can save for the end. But a lot of it is weight loss. It is you know better function athletically, and then the last one is clearing the brain fog. So they feel – maybe they don't use those words. They'll say something like, I don't want to be hungover anymore, or I hate the feeling on my weekends where I'm sluggish or tired or fatigued. But it really is that brain fog and that body fog where your joints Mm -hmm. hurt, you're dehydrated, and your brain doesn't function as well because it's literally catching up from the damage that you did when you were drinking. And those are pretty much the three that people fall into. I would love to tell your your listeners that the brain fog doesn't even start to go away until until weeks later. You guys might think – you know, that you might think that the feeling that you have when you're hungover is brain fog. You, if you are regularly binge drinking, you don't even know what brain fog is. Like you, you feel like the hangover feeling is the brain fog. You give it six to eight weeks and you'll start seeing what brain fog really was. Like a lot of people I think that binge and binge regularly don't realize how much of a haze they're actually living in all the time. All the time. All the time. 
all the time. And I remember when it happened for me in my, you know, your brain takes a while to heal, but your body is a miraculous healing system. I mean, it, it can heal itself in ways like you don't even know. But I remember, <laughs> yes. I remember the one day I just, I just said to my friend Josh, I said, God, I feel like I'm awake. I feel like I'm the, awake for the first time in maybe 15 years. I don't even understand. And I had no idea that I was living under this umbrella of it. Like, I had no idea. And I, I think, like, you were talking about scientific experiments. And I, I'm sure we'll get around to – like, I'm sure science will be interwoven into this podcast. <laughs> yes. But I do want to say, like, the weight, the weight thing, people will always focus on the calories, but people always forget that alcohol is a poison. And your body must get rid of it before it gets rid of anything else, before it yes. does anything else. It has mm-hmm. to go. So it, it – if you are drunk out of your mind and you've ingested like many bottles of wine, which I am, have been guilty of doing, and then you go and you eat a gigantic meal, guess what's going to storage? Because that alcohol has to go. Like, unless mm-hmm. that's wrong. I don't know if that's wrong. That's what I've always been led to believe. I don't know. <laughs> it, you can it, correct me. That is the simple way of saying like how your body processes it. Yes. Which is why when you get sick, when you are super drunk or hungover, you're throwing up literally everything because your body can't digest food because you're poisoning it. So mm-hmm. not, there's no nutritional value. That's why like, y- I mean, you can eat the healthiest salad the next day, but if you're going to throw up, your your body is not ingesting any of those nutrients because it just has to get rid of the poison. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, it's, it's a lot. And again, this is your specialty. This is not mine. So like, I mean, in terms of the <laughs> nutritional aspect of it. So yeah. I always love to, to learn and I love to see, but I think people are, people are really just focused on, well, you know, and, and then those are the same things as the people that'll say, okay, well, I have, I know a guy, he's not a client. He is um, a friend. Well, I mean, you know, one of those distant friends, we used to be closer, but you know, he's the kind of person that'll have a couple of beers for dinner and be like, well, I have a couple of beers and that's the same calorie content as having this. And I'm like, the two don't even equate. No. Like nope. it doesn't even, you, what do you think your body's doing with that? With <laughs> yeah. A couple of beers. Like, yep. I, I can, I can go into that for forever, but what yeah. were Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't want to. No, no, no. I think the other the, the other like scientific piece of this that I think is so important is that when you restrict anything, your body stops creating the organisms that break it down in your system. So if you don't eat anything for a month at a time, your body doesn't create what it needs to break that food down. So if you don't mm-hmm. eat vegetables, if you don't eat sugar, if you don't eat alcohol, right? If you don't have it in your system, your body gets rid of the things that break it down because it thinks it doesn't need it anymore. And you're having other things instead. So it's creating more of those microorganisms to break it down and, you know, do what it needs to do and grab the nutrients from it. So when you restrict for a period of time, when you don't have those microorganisms in your gut anymore, and then you reintroduce it, your body's like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. We don't have what we need to do anything with this. So another reason that your tolerance goes down, in addition to so many other scientific processes, when you have a dry month or period mm-hmm. of time, is that you, ju- you literally can't digest it because your body has nothing it similar things, maybe like similar sugars, you know, try to break it down, but it just goes through your system. You're like, nope, don't know what to do with that. I haven't seen that in a long time. Don't even know what that is. And so you can't break it down. You can't process it the way that you used to. So yeah, when you go out, yeah, the first night you're probably going to get wasted super fast for a lot of reasons. And that's a big one. And sick. And, and so sick. sick. And I appreciate that. That is 
fantastic. I love a good scientific explanation. It makes me so excited because I love to hear. I think that everybody is would be doing themselves a service to learn about the science of booze. Um, I think another thing that you and I had talked about, in addition to all of these specifics, because I think that science gets lost on a lot of people because what happens is they want to know it, but then it's really easy to ignore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really easy. One of the things that I think is less easy to ignore, which we were talking about, is the whole issue of control. I know that we yes. were talking about that, and I know you wanted to talk about that with relation to alcohol use. Yes. So you want to get into it? Because yes. I think it would be great. That's the other piece of this puzzle that, man, I just, I get it and I don't get it. And I've been there. And when I'm not in that mode, I just, it's hard. So let's just, let's just dive right in. So one of the pieces of the puzzle here, when people do dry anything or they do their detox or whatever it is, is that control aspect. They're controlling one part of their life that they feel like maybe they lost control of, or if they lost control of another part of their life, they think they can control this one piece. And it's totally under their guise. It's something that they can take themselves out of the situation and they know that they won't break whatever habit, right? Or maybe they will completely break the habit, but it's that control piece. So I don't, and maybe it is the societal pressure where people are just like, oh, this is an easy thing. It's a big part of my life. I know that I can control this because I just won't go out and I just won't do X, Y, and Z and then I'll be fine. But when you're put in that position where you have to test that control, it doesn't always go your way. And that's what we're talking about going out with your friends or whatever. But the control, when you talk about nutrition, it gets, it kind of like flips a switch in your brain where if you're restricting for so long and you're in control of that piece of the pie, you almost force yourself to go overboard in other ways because you're either replacing something, you're binging on something else, or you're not in control where you thought you were. And you almost like convince yourself that you are in control when realistically you're in the least control that you've ever had. Mm. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I I was – I was – and that's why I wanted to kind of where we started. I love big circles. But just thinking about the idea of sobriety versus recovery and Mm – if you are a person, and the thing about recovery is that there's a lot of different types of recovery, but they all come back to the same stuff. So any person that is in recovery from anything, whether it be alcohol use disorder, drug addiction, eating disorders, um, you know, different different traumas that we're working through, like any sort of recovery is it, it all comes it all goes back to. Some event, sometime, and usually really far back, usually really far back in our lives. So if you have an idea about, like if you're eliminating alcohol and you can control it tightly, as in you can control the behavior, yes, you can control the behavior. What happens is that you, the triggers for that behavior are still, all you're doing is you're eliminating them. Like I always used to tell people, if you're going to quit smoking, keep going to the bar. Because what's going to happen is that the minute that you, you're going to quit smoking. So I'm going to quit drinking too. And then you go, you go to the bar and that environment triggers that behavior. So if you have these triggers to drink and your control is over the behavior, you know, if you're completely eliminating the triggers, then of course the behavior is going to go away, but that's not sustainable for your life. And if there are things that are causing you to binge drink and you're, that's a behavior that you're engaging in. That's an opportunity to look at, do I, am I, am I sober 
Or do I need to take a closer look at some of the things that are going on with me? Not that there's anything wrong with you. So in personal right. development, we don't, we're not like psychiatrists. You know, we don't believe that there's anything wrong with anyone. We no. believe that people are just comprehensive pieces and there are things that we don't particularly like to feel. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to control and, you know, every person that I've ever worked with has had an issue with control. Myself included. I mean, I'm a hyper-rational controller. Those are my two big saboteurs in positive intelligence when I was taking positive intelligence. I'm a controller. I don't like to not have a com- an answer. I don't like to not know how a puzzle is going to play out. I don't like to take a chance and be – and I don't like to – all of these things. And what people, I think, what, what you finally get to, and this is going to be hard for a lot of people to hear, but what you finally get to is that you really don't control anything in life. You just mm-hmm. think that you do. Yes. You know? Yes. So like we don't know where we're going to end each day. We can take a good guess that we're going to get back to our beds at the end of the day. But we don't actually know that that's what's going to happen. You could end up in the hospital. Like, I mean, you know, you could be in a car accident, Mm -hmm. you could, you could fall and break your leg, like something could happen with God, God forbid, one of your relatives, you could win two tickets to Aruba and be on a plane. I mean, I'm not saying that something (laughs) is catastrophic, but we really don't understand, you know, the, the idea that we have control is really just this idea of repetition. We really don't have much control over anything. And a lot of times what people do is they put so much emphasis on controlling such small things. And I'm sure you see this all the time, that what happens is they actually sabotage themselves in that way. So like what you were saying about this particular thing with alcohol, like these people are doing this particular thing. And then what ends up happening, the control starts showing up with their nutrition. The -hmm. control starts showing up with their exercise. And I know that you were seeing this happen with your clients. Like what do you see? Like overtraining and things like that at this particular moment. I know you just did something on overtraining the other day. So I didn't know if that was something you were seeing a lot of now. Especially as people go into the new year and they go from not exercising either at all or maybe one or two times a week and now they're doing it six or seven times a week because they think that's better for them and going back to primal states or, you know, they felt better when they were 20 and they worked out seven days a week and now they're 50 and they're doing it. And it's like all of these crazy ideas that make sense to them because of where they've been and their story, but saying it out loud and and working through it. The control, it's like this little tiny piece of paper that you're just crumbling up and like pushing harder on and it's just crumbling and then you just let it fall and it's just another piece of trash. Like, okay, walk away. You can let it go and it'll be fine and it feels so much better than continuously crumpling up this little piece of paper that you're like, you're so tense and you have to put so much effort into it. And if you just let it go, it's okay. It's fine. Just let the universe do as it will because you don't actually control anything like you think you do. Absolutely. It was so hard to learn that. But now that I'm on this side of that bridge, it feels so good to be able to say that and to help other people see that too. And letting go is hard for people. Like I think people, they don't even know necessarily what that means. No. Or what they're holding on to or they're controlling. They They don't recognize it. It's, it's weird. And it shows up in all different kinds of places. Like it shows up in this. I mean, I like, I think of the example, I, I shouldn't give this example. He's going to be mad, but I'm going to give an example. I, I was, I was, 
Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be good. I know it. (laughs) It's too bad that I'm going to give this example because I don't always like to give examples from my very personal life, but I was seeing somebody who really liked me. And I really liked this person. But they were really afraid, I think, that I was going to go away. Like mm-hmm. I was not, I was not going to stick around. Yes. And so they just kept mm-hmm. giving me more and giving me more and giving me more because I, I can't like, don't want me to go anywhere, you yes. know? Yep. And what happened was I was like, oh God, this is too much. I need space forever. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. from one side of the spectrum to the other. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, like, great person. I am very excited that they are in my life. It's wonderful, but that's what happened. Now, that, you know, and I'm going to skip more details than that, but that's what, that's an example of had letting go been an option. Of, okay, like, I think I'm going to lose this. So what I got to do is I've got to do everything in my power to make sure that I don't. Well, the the letting go would have been useful there. Absolutely. But instead of the letting go, there was just, and I'm a very, you know, and I, I mean, I don't, and I've never been in this position before, but I think that it's appropriate for this podcast. I think it's appropriate to talk about it because this happens all the time with different yes. shit. And very relatable. Yeah, it is. It really is. I mean, it's kind of like, I'm sure you, and honestly, even though I am not certified in the things that you are, I talk about it with nutrition a lot, just from my own experience, because mm-hmm. that is one area where people, I mean, people just don't like to let go. And I think we talked about this on a previous podcast with the excessive yes. calorie counter. Yes. Like, <laughs> where you could just let go. Just Breathe. Deep breath. It's okay. It's all right. If you don't track that one thing, it's okay. You're all right. <laughs> Nothing mm-hmm. bad is going to happen. And yet letting go because when you're, when you focus so hard on that, when you can no longer do that, or you have that rubber band effect where you're so tight and worried about something and then you just binge because you're restricted so much, then you're going to find something else to control. Like that mm-hmm. poor guy lost you and now he's definitely doing something in control that, and he probably might, might not even realize it. Right. And that's, that's his problem. That's it. It did not just happen with you. Right. That is a, a, a room for improvement on his side. It's something that you recognized and hopefully he did after that. And that's something he can work on, but that's so relatable because he might not have even realized he was doing it. He just wanted you to not leave. So he did everything he could to make you not leave except let go. And that was like Mm. not even an option for him because he so badly didn't want you to go. And for him, letting go meant you would leave. It sucks when you're in personal development. You're kind of like on the outside of this and you're like, it's too bad that I see everything. (laughs) It's so frustrating. (laughs) frustrating and yet I don't see everything always you know the one thing that we don't see and Sean I know that you'll know this is the one thing that we don't see is ourselves like we see everybody else's behavior and it's very easy to see it and then we don't see our we don't always see our own and that's that's why coaches are here I mean I know that I could not see myself without the help of the people in my life that do that work and that have helped me and have held the mirror and it's wonderful um, I think a lot of times when people are doing things like, and I'm talking about just straight up, straight up, just giving up a habit 
straight up sobriety, straight up whatever. I mean, like mm-hmm. people holding up a mirror for you is helpful. Yes. Because it'll help you see. Because what we like to do, and this is another thing that we like to do when we stop drinking, and this could be people that just want to stop drinking for a little while, or this is could be people that, that want to go into recovery and not drink anymore because it's really damaging to their life. I mean, it could be either person. What we like to do, especially with alcohol, because of all of the cultural shit that is tied up in it, we like to always look at somebody else's behavior. And the line yes. always is, well, I'm not that. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting how the not that, air quotes for those people that don't, aren't looking at video, um, the not that turns into, it just keeps being one step further. So I'm not that. At least I'm not the person that's drinking in the morning. And then all of a sudden you're drinking on the morning on the, on the weekends. And then maybe you're drinking in the morning on all of your days off. And then maybe, oh, well, at least I'm not the person that had to go to detox. Then you have to go to detox once. And then, well, at least I'm not the person that keeps losing their job. And like, when does it end? And now most of us will not get there. I didn't get there. I didn't lose my job, have to go to detox, any of that any of that shit. But when does it end? Because I was always looking out there and I was like, well, at least I'm not that person. Well, at least I'm not that person. And I never, I never could see myself. Mm-hmm. And but the minute what- that you did and that mirror was turned back on you, that's when the work starts. That's when the mm-hmm. recognizing each little piece, the 1%, what changes can you make? Every single little detail that you changed in your life came when it stopped being, at least I'm not that, to, well, what am I? Mm-hmm. Where am I? What am I doing? And it turned from external to internal. And I think that that would be a great service for all of the people doing Dry January that are listening to this podcast. And not that there's any, there's nothing wrong with you. Nothing like if you wrong. find nothing wrong. No. You know, for me, I, I'll tell another story if you don't mind. Is it, Absolutely. Cool. Please do. But the story is that I, and I talked about this on my on one of my latest podcasts about sobriety because I did one right at the beginning of the year because this is when people like to give up drinking. And I talked about how there is science to breaking a habit. And I'm sure a lot of the, the people that you work with know that, especially especially athletes, because they're the most disciplined people. You know, I'm an athlete myself, so I know. Like, they're very disciplined people. So we know how to make something happen, push, come to shove. And when I wanted to stop drinking, I knew how to make it happen, push, come to shove. Of course, I told you about my concurrent things that were going on with the work that I was doing. But for Absolutely. the most part, I was still in science that's just breaking the habit. And I didn't have a trigger to drink until I stopped December 26th. I didn't have a trigger to drink until February. February was the day. It was mid-February, and I was going into my shithole job that I couldn't stand. I worked for this gremlin of a human, micromanagerial asshole who just was. (laughs) I mean, this was like, this was a restaurant job. So if you've ever worked at a restaurant, you know that it is, it can be. It, it, it can be just terrible. And you're working with, you're not working with the most inspirational, motivational people as your superiors. You're working from somebody that is is looking for upward mobility for the sake of it. I'm sorry, that's a whole other issue, but this person was not a kind person. This was, I've worked for some empowering people in restaurants, so I'm not going to say that this is a blanket statement about everybody, but this was not a kind person. This person was a bitch. And I had to go into work and I had to go and work for this person. And I thought to myself, as I was standing outside of the building, I was like, I just want to get through this day and go and get hammered. Like, I just want to go get fucked up. Like, I just want to go get fucked up. And that was the first trigger that I had to drink. And, you know, I called somebody and I talked to them about it. 
And what I realized through that trigger was that I knew that there was a series of steps of things that had to happen for me to get out of that job. The first being I had to change my limiting beliefs about myself. And that was the big one. And I didn't know that at the time, but all I knew was that I didn't feel qualified to get out of that job. Even though now looking back, that was asinine. But when we groove ourselves into patterns, we don't realize that. So like I had no realization of that. So because there were so many steps, so many micro steps, as you said, 1% shifts that you had to make, I had to make, they seemed so overwhelming to me that the only thing my brain wanted to do was give me booze so I could forget this. So I don't have to feel this. So I don't have to take action. So I, and that's how it comes up. So for all of you guys doing dry January, especially my athletes, you know, like not my athletes, your athletes, our athletes, athletes athletes. like us, (laughs) athletes like us is what I, I, you know, where I was going with that. People that are used to discipline because, and, and people are not, but especially people who are used to discipline. No, we believe you can do it because you do it all the time. You show up all the time. So no one is in doubt that you can do it. But if you're having a trigger to drink alcohol after the whole shebang is done, that's an opportunity for you. Like that's an opportunity for you to look because if it's showing up that way, the habit science, you know, great. Congratulations. You know how to give things up. You know how to eat a certain way when you're training a certain way. And you know how to fuel appropriately. You know your body better than anything. That's something. But the the trigger to drink, the trigger to binge drink, particularly when February rolls around and you get that trigger to binge drink, that's somewhere where you can look. You can take, um, that's the mirror. That's the Congratulations. mirror moment. It's yep. mirror moment. Congrats, yep. you made it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> I love that example. And I love that story so much because it is exactly the moment when something has to change. And you recognized it in that moment. Why did you want to drink after your shift? Because it was insufferable to be there. And I've had so many moments like that. I can feel that from the restaurant industry, from working in nine to five, where you're just like, oh my goodness gracious, it's 845 and I just can't wait to get drunk tomorrow. Or like, I can't wait to go out with my friends tonight and just get drunk because that feels better because it's a reward. But Mm -hmm that reward becomes the trigger. So if you if you are in dry January and you are forgetting your reward was being with your friends and making memories instead of getting drunk with your friends, use this moment to figure out your why and understand the rewards that you want in your life. Because mm-hmm. dry January can happen every year. It can be the rest of your life that you're dry. You can be sober. You can be in recovery from other things than just alcohol. But really, you don't want to be in dry social hour. You don't want to be in dry January from your friends. You want to be able to be with them and continue to make memories. So just think about your why. That's it, guys. That's whole and you don't even why. have to share your why. You can keep the why to yourself, but just so you understand it and you have a basis to, to move from and to feel secure and respected. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. I love it. I love it so much. It's <laughs> awesome. Woo! This is another great one, Andy. As always, thank you so much for coming, for showing up, for bringing your expertise, not just your experiences, but as a coach, as an athlete, as the phenomenal human that you are, but as the coach that makes so many people's lives better every single day. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Sean, likewise. Thank you. It is absolutely awesome. It's always a pleasure to be here. We're going to do it more often, I know. So I'm excited about, you know, excited for the next time, whenever that may be, whenever we get together again. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I I love, I love being able to provide value to your audience and your, and your clients. And 
yeah, it's just great. Guys, the smiles on our faces say it all. So if you're watching on video, you've already seen it. But if you guys are listening to the audio, I hope you can hear the smiles on our voices. <laughs> but until next time, uh, there will absolutely be a next time with Andy. So until next time, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you guys soon. We hope you all enjoyed this episode of Crash Course by Live Unbreakable. And if we made you smile or stop to think about something in a new way, go ahead and screenshot, post, or share this episode so we can get your feedback and share more knowledge with the world. Now get out there, eat, train, live, and subscribe to our Crash Course podcast. So you never miss a beat and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn to keep up with all things Live Unbreakable.